Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. your host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Asa Malik. She's the founder and CEO of Growth Minded Consulting. She's an award-winning talent development leader with a strong background in sales, learning, and strategy. She helps CEOs and leaders drive inclusion from hiring to inspiring. Asa, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Amy. Nice to be here. Yeah. So can you share a little bit of your journey and how you became a leadership coach? I spent 25 years in the consumer packaged goods industry. And the first half I spent in sales, the second half I moved over to learning and development. And through my journey in learning and development, I really found my niche. And I felt like that's where I needed to be. It wasn't sales and I could bring in my sales mentality. I could bring in my strategic mindset and I can create learning environments for people so that they can develop and they can grow within their careers. And so after leading a global learning and development team for about 16 years, I took on a variety of different topics, anything from onboarding all the way up to leadership development. And I started to spend a lot of time working with our leaders and helping them become better leaders one-on-one and sometimes in a group setting. And I just realized that maybe that's my calling. So that when I left that company, I decided that I'm going to take all the experience that I have and turn it into value for other people and helping them grow. And later on in my career, so I'm not looking to become the next CEO of another company, but what I am looking to do is to help our future leaders, to help our current leaders become more inclusive, and then our future leaders to become those leaders that people want to follow. And that's really what my calling is today. So in walking through that journey, what are you grateful for? There's a lot to be grateful for. I think that one of the biggest things is that I'm grateful for all the opportunities that I was afforded. I was given an opportunity to lead a team. I was given an opportunity to lead a client team. I was given an opportunity to travel the world. And through it all, I learned so much. And so that is what I'm really, really grateful for. And, you know, I think gratitude flows through almost everything that I do, because you can find gratitude in almost anything. You can find gratitude, obviously, in the people that support you and the people that encourage you. But then there's also the people that discourage you. And those people give me a little bit of added fire and that I want to be able to prove them wrong. So I'm so grateful for them, but I'm more grateful for the opportunity that I was given to learn. I love that. What are the best ways to learn and become a better leader? I think one of the biggest things that anyone can do is learn how to listen. And what that means is actively listen to what that person and what your team is saying. And that means asking questions and then being silent and allowing them to share. And by doing that, I think that gives you an opportunity to build rapport and build trust within your team so that they can share even more with you and even give you feedback. I think the other thing in terms of learning as a leader is being open to feedback. As a leader grows within their career, they get less and less opportunity to go to an actual workshop or a training class. It's assumed that you know how to be a really good people leader. But I think people leadership evolves and it's constantly evolving. So I remember my first leadership training, which was pretty much my only leadership training. 
was two years into my career. That was a really long time ago. And leadership needs and leadership has changed. The requirements of what employees need has changed. Even in the last year, it's changed. Think about COVID. Think about people working from home and being remote. And then you've got all of the stuff that's been happening out in the world, the racial inequities, the world issues. People are changing what they want. And so as a leader, you have to be able to evolve. That means that you have to constantly be learning. And I think never stop learning is a really great mantra for almost any leader is that you can't stop learning. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And there's really never any end to it. That's really good. So when working on becoming more of a diverse workplace, why is assessing and changing the workplace environment the first step? Well, it's the first step mainly because you have to understand where you are before you can understand where you need to go. And so I always call that the quiet phase, which is this is where I'm going to look at the data. I'm going to see what kind of demographics do we have currently today and what do we need to do to change it. So it's kind of like that strategic mindset. You need to understand what the end goal looks like. And before you can decide the steps to get you there, you have to understand where you're starting from. So understanding where you're starting from, understanding how people feel, understanding the demographics of the organization, and then figuring out what are your benchmarks? Where do you want to be in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, and then put a plan against that. And I think that's why setting that foundation and really understanding what do we have in place today? What's our current state? And then what our future state is and how do we get there? And that also will include understanding different HR policies. So really kind of lifting the hood and looking at the inner workings of a company is really important because those things can also impact how people feel. And that's really what the goal of any diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy is, is creating a workplace where people feel that they belong as well as feel that they can come as their authentic selves. And that's why starting with a really strong foundation will help us get a stronger company and a stronger business. That is a really powerful perspective, especially because so many companies start with, oh, okay, well, we're just going to hire more diversity, or we're just going to have a group that supports diversity. They meet for cocktails and we talk about diversity. Versus actually some active change in their organization. You have to start with retention before you can start bringing more people into the organization, especially if you're going to be focusing on diversity, bringing in more diverse people within the organization. You have to have a place where they're going to feel like they're accepted and that they're valued and that their difference is actually more of a uniqueness versus they're the diverse hire. And if you don't have your house in order, you can't invite guests in. And that's really how I look at it. I don't start with hiring. I think that's the wrong move. Unless you have an organization that does have that sense of belonging with their employees and is truly inclusive, then sure, the next step would be the hiring phase. Yeah, I love that. So how do you train leaders to help create that right environment? A lot of companies are creating curriculum around diversity, equity, and inclusion. 74% of companies have a leadership development program already for their employees, although it focuses mostly on first-time managers or people earlier on in their people leadership development. What I have found is that when you keep those two curricula separate, that they stay separate. And that kind of goes against the whole inclusion 
part of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what I've done is I've put together a program that infuses diversity, equity, and inclusion into leadership so that at the end, you end up with inclusive leaders. And so training them is not necessarily about getting them into a workshop, whether it's in person or virtual. It's also about giving them the opportunity to practice it, to coach them, and to give them feedback. And then also to hear that feedback from their teams, because that's who they're doing it for. And I also found that leadership team, that middle team, they're getting squeezed. They don't get the support and the development that they need, actually, especially, I think, over the last 18 months. A lot of issues were uncovered where you had really successful leaders pre-pandemic. And then during the pandemic, they honestly didn't know how to lead in a virtual environment. And so giving them that support, giving them the coaching that they need to be able to continue on. Because we're not saying that you need to go through a brand new leadership development program at you know 30 years into your career, but it's more about how do we enhance and augment what you've already done? How do we improve and evolve you to become the leader that people need today, not the leader that they needed 15 years ago? That's really good. What are some leading tips for managing a diverse team and what does a diverse team look like? Well, a diverse team, I'll start with that definition. A diverse team isn't necessarily color and gender. It can be a variety of different things. There's age, there's different industry experience. You bring in someone who is going to lead L&D, but doesn't necessarily have the industry experience, but has done it before. They can transfer a lot of those skills. So really looking at the mindset, the experience, the abilities, all of those things play a role when it comes to defining what that diversity looks like. And by the way, every company is going to have a different definition of what diversity looks like. Industries are very different. You're not going to see the proportions within the U.S. population translate into every single industry. There are certain industries that are geared more towards, for example, with technology. We're seeing that there are not enough women and there are certainly not enough women of color in the technology world. So how do we bring more women into the technology sector? How do we bring more women of color into the technology sector? You can start by, you know, when you look at all of those STEM organizations, they're helping girls at the, you know, the middle school age, the high school age, even in college, grow into and get excited about technology. So starting all the way back there, that's one main thing. But as a leader, if you've already set your diversity team or you have a team that is truly diverse, now as a leader, what you need to be able to do is listen and to sit back and watch them and give people the opportunities that they need. So that's where the equity piece really comes into play is providing equitable opportunities for your team. Not everyone needs the same thing. I'm five feet tall. I might need a stool every once in a while, but someone who's standing next to me who's six feet tall, they don't necessarily need a stool, but they might need something else. So if you give everyone a stool, that person who's six feet tall didn't really need it. So that's why really thinking about what do each individual person on your team actually need and then providing that to them. That's where listening and talking and being really open and getting feedback really helps. So we often reward that bottom line and making our goals and hitting the numbers versus relationships in business. How have you seen that negatively impact businesses? 
you know, there was a McKinsey study that came out a couple of years ago, and it talked about how if you have a diverse team, you can exceed your revenue goals. And everyone kind of caught on to that and used that. Now that translates really well with CEOs and boards and PE firms. It doesn't necessarily translate with the regular employee population, especially the diverse population. So when you focus on the bottom line only, you miss out on the intangibles, which is how are you making people feel? Are you making people feel that they're only here because you wanna be able to drive revenue? Are they here because they actually have value that you need? and you appreciate. And so when you focus on the bottom line, you miss out on the feeling side of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's the part that I think that people fail on is that if you focus more on the revenue side, you miss out on the people who are driving the revenue. How are you making them feel? Are they engaged? Are they really giving you their best selves? Are they holding back? Are they looking to leave? You know, all of those things do play a role. And by the way, turnover does play a role in the bottom line. It may be an HR metric, but it's an expensive bottom line number that feeds into whether you're making money or not. Because anytime you lose an employee, you're actually spending almost 33 to 50% of their salary to replace them. So that's an expensive in Denver when you know that you have high turnover rates. So dig into why do you have high turnover rates and then try to fix that. And that kind of goes back to the retention conversation we just had is if you can figure out all of those pieces that are helping people or making people stay within an organization and you start to see your turnover numbers go up, that's when you can go back and look at what are we doing to make people stay? That's kind of what you do miss out on. Yeah. You're making me think of all of the different businesses that I've been a part of that you know, really had that mindset of, well, people can't survive here. It's not our problem. Or they knew that they had a really high turnover rate, but they didn't care. Like the leadership honestly didn't care. They're like, well, this is the way we are. People just can't handle it. I feel a little bit of passionate around this because I think that in some ways that what I'm referring to comes really from I would say the good old boys, you know, season way back when, where it was the top down and it was, you know, it's our way or the highway and we make the rules and everyone just serves our vision or our goals. And like you had mentioned earlier, things have changed so much Mm -hmm. and needs of people have changed and views have changed, especially with this pandemic and people realizing, Hey, I don't necessarily have to work for an organization. I could go build my own business. I can work online. And when you have people that are like, or I could get a remote job now because there's more of that opportunity. I think more businesses are really going to have to look at this and realize that they no longer really have that as much power as they did in the past where it was our way or the highway. That's a very short-sighted way of thinking. And there are a lot of leadership teams, a lot of CEOs that think that way. And they're not thinking it through. One, we have, we're dealing with the great resignation. They're losing talent left and right. Those people are going to other organizations. And in some cases, they might be going to your clients. They might be going to your competitors. What do you think they're saying about your organization when they leave? Then we've got Glassdoor. Then we've got social media. People are posting about everything. Go on to LinkedIn and you will hear the stories from people who have worked at an organization. Imagine what that does to your employer brand. And when you are seeing that people are leaving and you need to replace those people because 
the business still has to go on. Business continuity is very important. You still want to drive revenue. Who is going to come in into those roles? Do they even want to work for you? They go and they look at Glassdoor. They read the reviews. They hear about it. And leadership can have the mentality that, oh, those are just disgruntled employees. Well, maybe one. But when you have 15, is that really a disgruntled employer? Is that a systemic issue within the organization? Do I really want to join a company that makes people feel a certain way or treats people in a different way? And so that's why it's very short-sighted. And that's why I really feel that leadership development is something that isn't just at the beginning of your leadership career. It's all the way through. I mean, all the way up to the CEOs and helping them understand that there's that hearts and mind. When hearts and minds collide, that's when you get true success because you make people feel like you want to stay at this company. You want to give them your best effort, your best ideas. And you really have that loyalty that people want to feel towards a company and companies want that from employees. Definitely. Yeah. Because those companies that really, that I've worked for in the past that I really loved in a heartbeat, I would go work for them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they needed me or if one of my previous bosses way back when said, Hey, we need you, I would drop everything for them. There's something to say about that loyalty piece. So what is the benefit of loyalty and standing behind diverse employees? I think that we just answered that really it's building a team of employees or an organization where you've got people that are so excited to be there that when they go to an event or any networking opportunity that they can talk about a company and say, you should join here. Like you would, just like you said, that if they asked you to come back, you would do it in a heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. That is a really great testament to how people feel even after they leave an organization. That is really important in terms of building your employer brand. And then you add in the external piece of it, which is the client side. When your clients hear that their employees are so excited about working for this organization and are incredibly loyal, that says a lot about a company and the way that they do business. I want to work with that company and I want to pay them to work with me. You know, I want to buy their products. And so, you know, we saw a lot of that happen over the last year or so. When you see people talking about their experience with a certain brand or a certain company, how that kind of snowballs in terms of growth or decline. And so that's why having a really loyal group of people is really important. Then on top of that, I think when you add in the layer of diversity, diverse people who have any type of diversity or considered, let's say, diverse within an organization, whether it's their gender, whether it is their race or ethnicity, age, they have a harder time fitting in. And so if a leader, and support them, amplify them, be their ally, be their advocate. That's another way of creating loyalty, that they made me feel accepted. They made me feel valued on the team, even though I came from a completely different industry or I'm a little bit older or I'm a little bit younger than the rest of my team. They still never made me feel different. They made me feel unique and valued and accepted. So what are some of your client success stories? I've been doing this a while and, you know, whether I work for a company or I worked on my own, I always saw employees as my clients. So they were my internal clients or my external clients. 
And so, you know, one of my greatest joys is to be able to see people thrive and to see people grow within their career. So you're talking about personal wealth is equal to your profession or your growth. And that to me is really powerful because the more you learn and the more you're open to learning, the more you will receive. And so when I think about a client success story, one of my favorites is doing a training class and there was, you know, 25 people in the room and there was that one person that sat there and said, you know, what can you teach me? I'm not going to learn anything. And at the end of the second day, he came to me and he's like, oh my God, this was probably one of the most powerful classes for me. I learned so much. So getting immediate feedback from him, knowing that he started off the class, not really being open to it and then completely turning around. And then a few weeks later, calling me back up and saying, oh my God, so I learned to do this in class and I applied it at my client and it worked. And so they saw the success in it. And so when people see that not only am I learning a skill within a training class, but I'm taking it and I'm applying it and it worked or it showed value for me and for my client. And so that's where the positive results come in. So that to me was one of my favorite stories is where I started off with a guy that just was not open to learning. And at the end of it came and said, I learned so much. And then even took the time out to call me up a few weeks later to say it worked and I love it. That's great. So what is your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? I think the main thing is always do the right thing and make sure that people understand that your intention is one to do the right thing and to help them. And I think that if you can keep those two things, then you can do almost anything. But I always lead with, that's my North Star, is being able to do the right thing. And I think the other thing that I really learned from my dad was never stop learning. He was a man that had three master's degrees and got his PhD in his late 40s. He never stopped learning and he instilled that in his two daughters. And that's one thing that I feel like I carry with me is that I do it for myself, but I also do it for others because I can see the value in constantly learning and evolving. So that's really what I want. If you're able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started your journey, what would it be? I think probably the first thing would be be patient. Things don't happen overnight. Growth takes time. The other thing is be strategic and intentional in what you're going to be doing, thinking about what kind of outcomes are you looking for, and then make steps accordingly. And then I think the third thing is always remember your worth. Know what you're worth, know what your value is. And if people can't accept it, then it's probably not the right place for you. Yeah, that's so true. If there are people that are listening and they'd like to work with you, find out more about your products and services, what's the best way for them to contact you? The best way would be via email. And it is simply my first name, Aspa, A-S-F as in Frank, A at AspaMalik.com. You can reach out on LinkedIn and you can reach out on my company page, which is Growth Minded Consulting. I'm on LinkedIn as well for my company. And then my website is GrowthMindedConsulting.net. So reach out, take a look at some of the things that I offer. It's a full service consulting firm where I do anything from consulting. If you're at the beginning of the stage, you want to build out a diversity, equity, and inclusion curriculum or build out an inclusive leadership development program. We can do all of that. I can do little workshops and I can also do a lot of leadership coaching. So no matter where you are in your journey in terms of creating inclusive leadership or inclusive workplaces, I can help. Great. Thank you so much for coming on today. 
and sharing your expertise. Thank you. It's been amazing. Yes. And I want to mention that I will also put all of your social media and your website, everything, all the links down below. So everyone can access those guys. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. If you want more information about my podcast and upcoming shows, you can go to a call to thrive.com. Thank you everyone and have a wonderful week. Thank you.